Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. I am delighted to welcome Dr. Deborah Aronson to the show. She works in the mainline area outside Philadelphia as an integrative in-home palliative end-of-life care doctor. She did have a clinic where she did all the things your usual vet does, and now she's focused on coming to people's homes when they have animals who are declining in some way to help them manage their care and then also to help them with end-of-life decisions for which she actually got a chaplain's training in order to counsel people through the very difficult end of their pet's life. Dr. Deborah, welcome to the show. And it's wonderful that you've specified where how you want to use your, your talents, since it's an area that everyone struggles with, not just the people whose animals are declining, but they're veterinarians too. I think one of the great stressors on vets is trying to guide people through a decision which is complex and time-consuming and very individual. And there are even, I think, a lot of people who don't want to let go of their pets and keep them alive after a time when the pet is has any quality of life, which I think for vets is really tough. Is that one of the things that that motivated you to become a specialist in end-of-life care? Yes, and uh, thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, 
I was always drawn to my silver whiskered patients in my general practice um, and found that I was good at at speaking with owners about quality of life issues. Um, I enjoyed it, but often, you know, didn't have the time Yes, at the regular clinic. You know, if you're in a 20-minute, half-hour appointment, you know, sometimes the conversations can take uh, much, much longer than that. Um, and I was truly inspired to focus in this area after I euthanized my own cat um, back in 2008. Um, and I didn't even think to bring him into the clinic. I just, I just did it at home, and then I started thinking, well, is anyone in the Philadelphia area doing this at home? And, and at that point, no one was. Now, of course, we have um, many different services available, which is wonderful. Um, and after working in this area for so long, um, you know, I knew that I was providing pastoral care, and so much of what we veterinarians do is what you said, you know, having these these talks and, and have letting owners process what's going on. Um, and that's what inspired me to actually become trained as a chaplain in, in a human hospital. Um, in a human hospital, really? <clears throat> yes, yes. I, I got my training. I took a class called... CPE, which is uh, Clinical Pastoral Education. It's a 400-hour wow. program. Wow. Um, consist- yeah, consisting of uh, classroom training, small group classroom training. And then I was a chaplain intern at a human hospital. Um, so you know, interesting, I- I- Deborah. I was going <laughs> to actually say to you, God, what you're doing for people and their pets is so valuable. Mm-hmm. But why isn't someone doing this for the humans? I And, you know, yes, okay, maybe hospitals have a chaplain, but is it multi-denominational? And if you're an atheist or you're Jewish or you're Muslim, is that chaplain someone you're going to reach out to? Because you don't want him or her to talk their dog God talk, right? You want a kind of more uh, yeah. global spiritual idea. And... Yes. With dogs and people, I think you don't have to make the reference or you would it w- wouldn't even be appropriate to make the reference to human, let's say, Judeo-Christian uh, ideas or principles. It's more about caring for the animal and understanding their quality of life and helping people to make the best decision for the pet. It's always going to be hard for them. It's never going to be easy peasy. But to help them understand that they're showing an act of kindness, you can't do that in human medicine, much as many of us believe that you should be able to. It's not an option, right? Well, well, the hospital where I, I was a chaplain intern, actually, their chaplaincy department was called the, the spiritual care department. Okay. And it, it was an interfaith program that I went through. Um, and while I am Jewish, and that is certainly my comfort zone, you know, with organized religion, um, to be a good chaplain, I was taught that you actually leave your own religious beliefs at the door. Mm-hmm. And you need to help people where they need it. You need to companion with them and give them support however they need it. And and for some people, that is certainly prayer, if they ask for it. 
for others, it is general emotional support. Mm-hmm. And so the religion itself, at least how I was taught, was um, just one aspect. And so it, it really didn't affect what I brought back to my own practice and what I am now grateful to be able to bring back to the veterinary field. Excuse me, veterinary field. Um, I think it's know, extraordinary. Four hundred hours is more than a lot of subspecialties in medicine to perform some medical, you know, intervention. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of devotion on your part. And how amazing you got to practice it on people, because at the end of the day, that's who your patients are when you're being the pastor, when you're being the end of life palliative care doctor with a veterinary degree from the University of Pennsylvania. I mean, you're highly trained. Mm-hmm. You're be, you can obviously offer lots of interventions that help with pain or mobility, things like that. But in this other area, it it really is just people, right? People suffering through the end of the life of someone they love. And how do yeah. you help them get through that in the most graceful way possible? Because they also want to give as much grace as they can to, it doesn't even have to be the dying person or pet, right? It has to be the declining one. Because with our pets, at least I have found for myself and in various conversations on the show and reading, that it's really hard to see your dog or cat get slower, seem to be lame, not want to eat that day and have to go tick tock, tick tock. Is this the day? Is this the week? Oh, they perked up again. So it's it, it, you ride an emotional roller coaster as the animal gets older if they're showing physical or even mental dementia signs of decline. That must be a lot of what you do when you come to people's houses. You observe with them and discuss with them how the pet is today, yesterday, and maybe tomorrow. Yeah, I mean it's it's huge because you know for the most part we humans will outlive our pets. You know that's yep. that's. We understand that when we bring them into our lives and we bring them into our hearts. And uh, there is a type of grief, anticipatory grief. Yes, and there you go. When, yeah, when the pet is starting to decline at home or is diagnosed with a terminal illness, the owner may be wondering, well, you know, how is the disease going to process, progress? Yep. Am I going to have to make the decision to euthanize? How will the euthanasia itself go? What will happen when my pet is gone? And I have performed euthanasias on pets that, you know, represent the last connection to a deceased partner or a, right. a child someone couldn't have. And so there are layers upon layers of, of what caretakers are, are dealing with. And, it may be, you know, completely unrelated to the pet themselves. That's right. Sometimes the pet represents and an era in the person's life, and if it's a cat exactly. who's been well looked after, it could be twenty years. It could be someone's entire adulthood. Yeah, that that exactly. cat was the connective tissue from leaving home to going to college to having a roommate to getting a job to moving across the country. Whatever those things may be, that cat was the touchstone. And that's really tricky. When when you did these four hundred hours with humans in the hospital, what how what did that mm-hmm. take out of you differently than the work you do with humans and their pets? How is it different for you? You know, it it actually it wasn't really different. 
it wasn't the the skills are the same and obviously i wasn't advertising in the hospital to the families that i was you know helping that i was a veterinarian um certainly oh, right. that would be awkward they would think that was odd. that would be awkward and uncomfortable um but it it the skills that i was using were the same and it was the training just broke down what i was already doing so i understood so i understood what i was doing and a big part of what i learned in this training was how to protect myself emotionally right. during difficult situations. Right. And those are the skills that I'm bringing back to the veterinary field. I've, I've started, that was one of my goals was to help other veterinarians who may not be drawn to this area as I have been so that they can protect themselves um, during euthanasia appointments, which, you know, most veterinarians have to, to deal with, even if um, it, it can be really painful to them. And, and that was one of my goals. I also found myself experiencing a lot of gratitude in the hospital um, because I am able to offer humane euthanasia. Yes, um, you and know, not to euthanasia. humans. Right. Euthanasia literally means good death. Yes. And I saw the, the suffering involved for the, you know, the patients and the families and the staff, because that's just not so widely available on the human side. And if, as I understand, even the growing number of states that allow for assisted suicide, that's different than humane euthanasia, because often the person is not even in a conscious enough state to make some clear, vocalized decision and act on it. But everybody around them thinks this is not how they'd want to live or semi-live, and and that's not an option open to people at all. So we have that option with pets, but you also, as a veterinarian, can offer when it's Fifi's, I don't know, 14th week of eating, not eating, being, you know, being given subcutaneous fluids, maybe a new drug comes out that stimulates appetite, and you can offer that, and it gives a bunch of maybe quality time extends time or a fentanyl patch for a dog with cancer or cat with not so much cats but dog with cancer that that might give weeks perhaps with one of my dogs that he had a fentanyl patch that was stapled on him i couldn't operate his long bone cancer yogi bear the world's most mm. charming rottweiler and they stapled mm -hmm. this fentanyl patch on him because it wouldn't <laughs> stick even when he was shaved cuz i guess yeah. they have really tough skin and it did help and it's like what else can we do? Not to extend life because I selfishly want him to be around, but he's still so happy and lively. Oops, he can't actually go on a walk because that front leg hurts too much. So those kind of things that you can offer are kind of an extraordinary combination of emotional care and also to be able to give physical care. I guess the part when you bring up about vets protecting themselves, I think one of the reasons that not one more vet exists as an organization of which I'm truly honored to be on the advisory board just because I want to bring up the topic of emotional mental challenges to veterinarians who have one of if not the highest suicide rate of professionals is that putting your pet to sleep kindly humanely is really wrenching on the practitioner because they're sucking in all of your misery and heartache and you're sobbing you're not sobbing 
and they and they sponge it. I mean, vets are really empathetic. So to build up that wall to protect yourself is really great that you had the training to do that. Otherwise, you it you you would just be carrying everybody's grief around with you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's actually exactly you know one of the things that I learned um I personally have a, a visualization. If I'm in an appointment and you know talking with an owner and they're and they're sad and they're grieving, I take their grief in. I I don't have a wall out, you know, I'm I'm a compassionate person, so I so I bring their grief into myself and I and I visualize an internal chemical reaction converting their grief to compassion, which I can then release back to them as empathy. And so there's the that flow in and out. And so I don't personally hold on to the sadness. Um, that sounds that like Eastern big... thinking, Eastern, not religion, oh, but Eastern yeah. philosophy, as opposed to Western philosophy. Yeah, I... I I haven't thought of it in that way, um, but I also do, um, I'm certified in, in veterinary medical acupuncture, um, and I think there's a lot to learn, and I, I don't have any uh, barriers or, or delineated thinking in that regard. I, I, because you are integrative. Because you are integrative, which is part of you know your practice. You integrate Western and Eastern medicine, and it seems like a more of a global spiritual position on these these difficult times in people's lives. I want to add that you do virtual Zoom or non-in-person emotional, spiritual, if that's the right word, grief counseling, end of life, well, right? I mean, so we only have a minute left, but I just want to say yeah. someone doesn't have to drive to the mainline area outside Philly, which would be kind of bizarre because you do in-home. If they don't have a home, you can't meet them in their car. So yes, you could but, talk but to them to, over Zoom. Yes, but just to clarify, I'm not a, a therapist. I don't do grief counseling, but I do teleconsults on quality of life and if people are struggling to make that kind of decision, right. I do that kind of work. Right. For afterwards, I refer to, you know, professional therapists if, if someone needs that level of support. That's, yes. a, that's a good delineation. And it really is the teleconsult to help you make the decision is the, is the part that's so valuable and is a missing piece. Because even your own vet may be too close to you and to your pet to be able to help you make an objective decision that's best for the pet. They're they're just as wrapped up on some level as you are. They've seen that animal often from birth to this very near the end of their life. So it's wonderful to have an outside view with a big heart. Dr. Deborah Aronson, what you're doing is wonderful. I hope that people will reach out to you. I think the, the service you're giving is fabulous, and I hope you can talk to many other vets at vet conferences and help them understand how to help us while protecting themselves. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them.
Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cooked dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards. Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them, despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture, letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com. 